This month on Decompliance Live, I visit with Wendy Badger, CCO at Tenant Company, on her fascinating journey to the CCO chair. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Back, Tom Fox, not Tom Back. And I'm back, though, for the concluding episode in this month's series on The Compliance Life with Wendy Badger. Wendy, first of all, welcome back. Thanks. It's been an honor and just a pleasure to be with you through these episodes. Thanks, Tom. So, Wendy, we are to the point where you move over to Tenet. And um, you talked about the the move over there, but I'd maybe like to ask you about what were some of the challenges that you found and have found in the job and any early successes and maybe some lessons learned from working in what I perceive to be a larger organization uh, with multiple business units across uh, multiple jurisdictions. Uh, So tell us a little bit about that. So I had the great fortune when I started this role, they had been working with an external compliance consultant who I knew professionally beforehand. So that to me was a huge benefit that I was able to continue to have that consultative arrangement with her and and get all of the information that she had done in the compliance risk assessment that she was just wrapping up when I came on board. So she had prepared just a wonderful um, transition planner that I still go back to to this day that describes the different vendors that we were working with, a, a quick summary of what the, the current contract was and some of the pieces that she helped to sort of keep the wheels on the bus until they brought someone in. Because when I came into this role, uh, it was a newly created position. Initially, they had multiple different people doing bits and pieces of compliance program stuff but it wasn't all housed within one area. It was sort of part of someone's job as they got to it. And the organization decided we are a big enough size, we are a big enough organization that we need to be more mature about this and we need to truly create a compliance function. And so part of the challenge in that type of situation um, that's both good and bad because, you know, I don't really have a model to follow and, um, so I can kind of mold it to what makes sense and, and how I think it, it um, can really flow for the organization. But to do that, I really need to learn and understand the organization. So I wanted to take my first year to really, frankly, do nothing and just be a sponge and learn and absorb and see what really is going on. Um, but I don't have that kind of luxury. I don't think any organization really does. And so one of the challenges is has been... They don't have a, hadn't had a structured compliance function before, and so nobody knows what that means. Like, what areas do I manage? What falls under me? And how can other areas leverage the structure and the framework that I'm building? And part of me is 
you know, excited about that because I see much broader impact. But part of me is also terrified because that means I need to build something and build it quickly. And I don't think that it's going to be built as quickly as some folks think it will be. I don't think the foundation and structure is as solid as maybe some of the, especially some of the more executive levels think that it is, you know, um, you know, they were just told, yeah, there's a third-party risk management program in place, but didn't really understand the details. I'm now understanding the details and what that means. And people feel like I'm moving their cheese and I'm changing their their uh, their processes and I'm going to make their lives more difficult or I'm going to delay them if they're trying to make a sale on one of our products or something like that. When really I'm trying to do it in, an, in a frictionless way that makes sense, that's risk-based, but they're not used to it and it's scary. So a big part of my job right now is just that education and awareness about who am I, what am I doing, and doing that in while we're still not fully back to the office. I'm not going to say back to work because they have been working for the last year and a half, just not all in the same facility. Um, so figuring out how to do that when when you're working remotely um, can be a challenge because people get get even more blinders and siloed because they don't have that interaction and don't think about, hey, that new person started, we should probably do some outreach and take them out to lunch and translate that to, oh, let's have a, a video chat, you know, a quick coffee chat or something. Folks still, that whole onboarding process, I think, is still a challenge, not just for my organization, but for any. So that's been been challenging. So what I really wanted to do when I first came on board was look at some of the things that were maybe um, easy enough for me to tackle when I don't fully know everything about the business and I don't fully understand and appreciate the culture of the organization. I'm still learning all of that. So what were some small things that I could do that were going to have big impact right away? So just a couple of examples of that. One small thing that I did um, that had big impact. We have a couple of um, email boxes that a bunch of people have access to but like nobody was checking it in any kind of structured way. So I put some structure and format around that. And now the colleagues in my department don't have to worry about them because they know it's being managed and handled. They know it's not going to be six weeks before they get an email saying, oh, this one probably should have gone to you. Can you take care of this now six weeks later? It's getting handled in the moment. So it seems simple. It seems administrative, but it had a huge impact. And now the people who are who have been trained to use those it, email inboxes, instead of having to untrain them and tell them, no, go to this person. And then if that person changes, they need to learn a new person. They still know to go to that box, but they're getting responses much quicker and better responses because it's getting to the right person more quickly. So it seems like a simple change, but it had big impact, not just within my department, but throughout the organization. Another um, somewhat simple example, but took a little bit longer is, for example, with the, the online training platform that we use, um, when, when training would go out and people couldn't get logged in or they were having challenges or it went to spam or whatever, um, you're getting a lot of those same questions. And we were, I was finding that the people who were responding to those questions were typing a new response every single time. But they're all the same questions. And I was like, why do we not have a frequently asked questions document that you can copy and paste from? You're getting all the same questions. You have to do the same thing to reset them in the system. Like we can streamline this. We can make this much easier. So that sped things up a little bit too. 
And then when I then was in charge of launching our code of conduct training through our online platform, this just recently in the last couple of weeks, um, I took a completely different approach and I did a communication cascade that initially told our senior management team that this was coming and when to expect it. Then I told our global leadership team, this is coming, here's what to expect, and here's what I need from you. I need you to support the training, and here's how you can do that. I, you know, let your folks know that this is coming. Follow up with them to see, are they completing it on time? Know that it's not coming from our organization. It's coming from the training vendor. So watch for the email. So know it's not going to be spam when it comes. That kind of a communication. Then I expanded that and sent that to all of the people leaders to give them a heads up and said, Here, here's what this means for you. Here's what I need for you from you. I want you to work with your teams to schedule in time for them to complete this training and still get all their daily job done. Right. So I'm giving you this heads up so you know it's coming. It's going to take about 25 minutes to complete. So they had all of that background information. And then we sent out a final communication that went to everybody in our organization, was translated into nine core languages, giving everybody a heads up. Hey, this is coming. Watch for it. I Then I talked with our, our IT group and said, hey, this is coming. I want to prepare you in case you get the questions instead of me. How can we make this easier? They made a couple tweaks in the system so things didn't get routed to spam so that we opened up different, you know, a, a capacity limit on the emails um, so that it was much smoother. And I'm finding this time around, I'm getting way fewer questions. I'm getting better questions. I'm getting people reaching out saying, hey, I didn't get that training. Can you send me the link? When is this coming? And to me, that's huge, right? People are asking me for compliance training and ethics training. So that was just a couple of small tweaks that I made to the process that have had huge impact. I've also now had people start reaching out to me with questions because I also sent this training to our board. So I gave our board a heads up that this training is coming and here's what we need from you. And you can, by doing this training, you're helping to support the program. You are getting a better understanding of what our employees need. It sets that tone from the top because then I can say, hey, everybody else, even the board has to take this training, right? So little small tweaks that had big impact eased communications, eased anxiety. People knew what to expect. They knew how long they had to, to, you know, before the deadline was going to hit. Reminders are being sent out if you didn't do it. And all of those discussions are being generated. I also forewarned our board and SMT and senior management team that we tend to see a spike in hotline reports when we launch training because it's a part of the awareness campaign. So be ready for that. You know, so I started having all of those conversations too. Again, small things that made a huge impact quickly. And then simultaneous with that, I'm building structure and background and relationships and trust and rapport with all of these different areas. So they don't necessarily see, you know, I talked about in one of our earlier chats, I talked about the environment and, and gardening and like making sure you're in the right environment to help these things bloom. That's part of what I'm doing. I'm building that environment to make sure that the program can bloom. And then simultaneous with that, putting that structure in, in place so that it will support some of the other bigger initiatives that I could not launch in the first year that change completely our policy management platform. Like all of that work is happening in tandem 
while I'm also building those relationships so that when these other bigger initiatives do start to launch, they took longer to build, but they're not going to be surprised by it. That's the promise I've made to our senior management team. No surprises for me. Before I take something to the board, unless it's an executive session, you're going to know about it, you're going to hear about it. So that if they get questions about it, I'm setting them up for success, which frankly makes them look good, and they like that. So, Wendy, uh, I wanted to ask you to to maybe look down the road or, or talk about some of the, uh, I'm a, I don't want to say myths, but perhaps not completely accurate things that are floating around in the compliance community. And the first is that tech is a cure-all for everything in the compliance space and maybe using, I, I would say, one of the key uh, <clears throat> initiatives that came out of the pandemic was the increased use of data analytics in the compliance profession, simply because we couldn't travel and meet in person. Uh, could you give us a couple of thoughts on those points? We'll be right back with Wendy's answer after this quick message. Yes. First of all, I'm a huge fan of data. I think it tells you a story, but you need, much like with a, an ethics hotline, you need to listen to what the data is telling you. It's not enough that folks are speaking up. It's not enough that you have the data. You need to look at it, layer it, understand it. What is that story telling you? If you're seeing a spike in hotline reports, why? Is it the same issue? Is it the same region? Is it the same? Is it all under one particular manager? Like, is it the time of the year? Is it incentive season? And so you're starting to see more pressure. You know, what is the, the data is telling you a story? So the more data you have, the better. But having said that, garbage in, garbage out. If you're not tracking the right types of data, it's not going to give you really anything. So I do think we're starting to see a surge with data and using it smartly and then kind of layering it in and seeing where there's a connection because then that can also help you to design your program going forward. I'm also a fan of sharing data to the extent we're able. Like I like to share my hotline data broadly. Nothing confidential, but that starts to take a little bit of the... Uh, the anxiety and the uncertainty about a hotline program out of things so that when I come knocking on someone's door to say, hey, I need to you know, interview you about this issue, they don't have quite as much anxiety. But I want to marry up my data with what is HR collecting because that's going to be more data and that's going to tell you maybe a better story or a more full story. You know, that the ethics hotline data that I'm in charge of reporting to our audit committee of the board, those are pieces of a puzzle that you can maybe start to see the outline of what this picture is going to be. But you add in, you layer in the data you get from HR, you layer in the data of information that's being reported to managers directly, then you start to see the whole picture take, you know, what this whole picture looks like and can plan action plans that maybe I don't need to be in charge of. Maybe it's an HR initiative. Maybe it's a different kind of development initiative within a particular department. So I'm a huge fan of data. But one of the other things that you mentioned was, you know, technology is the cure-all. Well, yeah, technology can gather all that data for you. But if you're, again, if, if you're gav gathering garbage, it's not going to help you. So I do not think technology is the cure-all. If your process is crappy, technology is not going to fix that. 
you need a good, strong process and structure first that technology can enhance. That's, I think, the, the where people oftentimes get uh, stumbled up. Technology is not going to be, I don't like this analogy, but um, technology is not your silver bullet. It's not going to fix everything. You need that process and structure in place first, then technology can enhance it. So, Wendy, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode and, unfortunately, this entire uh, podcast series, but this has been great. I feel like uh, you had a lot of points that uh, have not been discussed in the compliance life that I really think are going to help a lot of people who sit in the CCO chair and those who want to. So I wanted to thank you for that, and uh, I'm uh, uh, so happy that we are able to connect for this series. It's been a true personal and professional pleasure. Thank you so much for the honor of being with you today, Tom. Okay, we're off recording. Excellent. So, like I said, that was great. A lot of great stuff. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.